by the power of his name. I've also asked a few of you if you had some kids or you've had even a moment where, you know what, I'd love to learn John 20, 31. And we've even asked some of you to take some cameras out and to shoot it. And today, we have the Gardner family. And again, this was all done at Christmas, just so you know. But we're fresh out after this week. So if my mailbox gets jammed with people sending me, well, you quoting this verse, I'd love to show it. But for now, let's hear from the gardeners. Go ahead. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wow. That's like a Christmas shot right there, isn't it? You know, Christmas card. You know, we are grateful that, again, we're able to take some of God's Word and be able to, to put it in our hearts. You know, each week we watch Jesus and we learn from Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King, the Savior. Jesus came to restore the lost, the wandering, and the broken. He offered life to a religious leader a lost religious leader. He offered living water to a lost non-religious neighbor. He offered purpose to a group of lost disciples. He offered health to a lost dad's son. He offered hope to a man who had been afflicted for 38 years. You know, Jesus was making claims, claims that were literally ludicrous. That is, unless he backed them up, which he did. Jesus shocked the crowds and angered the religious when he proclaimed that he was the Son of God and that he was the promised Messiah. Jesus faithfully backed up his claims as he traveled throughout Galilee and Judea healing the sick and feeding the hungry. In fact, a few weeks ago, we focused on him reading, or feeding 5,000 men. Some estimates bring that crowd up to 20 or 25,000 people from a few fish and a few biscuits. Last week, if you're with us, Jesus modeled for us what it means to walk intimately with his dad. You see, at that time, after he fed all these crowds, the crowds wanted to make him king. Humbly, he sent the crowds away. And he also encouraged the disciples to leave. He climbed up a hill to spend some time with his dad. All while the disciples were out on the Sea of Galilee fighting a storm. At just the right time, Jesus entered the tempest and walked on the water to comfort his troops. He calmed the storm, and he arrived instantly at his destination. Whoa. As I spent time in the text last week, I felt we just weren't done and needed to stay here just a bit longer. 
As I mentioned, a whole lot happened between John chapter 6, verse 20 and John chapter 6, verse 21. So we're going to dig into Matthew for the details here. So before Yvette reads our text for us today, if you could open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 22. So take some time to do that. Open up your flat screens, your Bibles. Yvette, can you read for us Matthew 14, starting in verse 22? Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. So, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshipped him. You are really the Son of God, they exclaimed. Let's pray. Father, we're going to open up a really familiar text, a text that so many of us, if we've grown up in the church, we've heard. We heard that Jesus walked on this crazy sea, and then he called Peter, the impetuous one, to, to come and join him, and Peter did. God, sometimes the popular stories are stories that we glaze over. There's stories that are, are nice for maybe uh, six and seven and eight-year-olds, but, but for us, well, we, we need some different kinds of stories. You know, Lord, I, I sense we need to hear from you today. Every one of us have gone through storms, and some of us are in storms right now. We pray, Father, that you would come in an amazing way and you would open our eyes and that we would leave here transformed because we have listened to your word and obeyed you. Father, I pray for all the other churches right in our neighborhood or proclaiming your word today. We ask you, dear God, that you would surround them, encourage them. We pray, Father, that truth would go out and that you would use your word to transform hundreds and thousands of God followers. We pray this week, Lord, that we would be salt and light. We pray that wherever you send us, whatever assignment you give us, that we would hear from you and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God delights when his kids put their faith in him. It's just like you. Some of you have had the opportunity to be a mom or a dad, and some of you realize, especially when they're very, very young, 
There are times that your kids are scared. They are. It could be as simple as riding a two-wheeler for the very, very first time. It could mean them jumping off the dock. Well, into water that is well over their heads. And you see them, and you're just hoping after you've trained them, and you've walked with them, and you've done all the things you possibly can do, you're just hoping they're going to trust you. I've taught you how to swim. You know how to do this. This is going to be way over your head. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Okay, Um, but, but you need to jump in. Trust me. And nothing is more delightful to see that little guy or that little girl just take a running start and just hit it. Go under the water. All of a sudden, kind of float up. Start breathing, looking at you with their big wide eyes. And them start swimming. You see, God rejoices in a person's rebirth. When somebody comes to a place in their life and they recognize that without Jesus, they're drowning. And that's why Jesus came. To die on the cross, to pay our debt, to be able to give us an opportunity to restore a relationship, a relationship that was designed, well, way to the beginning of time. And that's what God desires. And so he is so grateful when, when, well, we receive the gifts that he has given and offered to everyone, the gift of life, by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And then once that happens, he celebrates when we walk in faith. We please God when we trust God. We please God when we jump off the pier. We do. Some of us, that's hard. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He said this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, just as you received this gift, Paul says, all right, you must continue to follow him or trust him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built around him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thanksgiving, thankfulness. That's so cool. That is so amazing. God says, hey, just like you came to me in faith, just like you knew you were drowning, just like you knew you need to be rescued, every single day you're going to need to trust me. Every single day, I am there. Put your faith in me. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, so many of you know this one by heart, but the Scripture still said it is impossible to please God without trusting Him, without faith. And so we look at this, and faith we hear about, faith we know about, But as soon as any one of us start looking at the storm, even though we're obedient, I mean, Jesus was the one who said, get in the boat and I'll meet you. Oh, I wonder if Jesus knew about this storm. 
I think the guys are rowing. I think they're complaining a little bit. Like, whoa, look at the jam we're in now. But faith is important to God. So Jesus was all about growing the disciples' faith. Now the truth is, some of us don't like how God grows our faith. We don't like the exact storms that we have to go through. We don't. In fact, many of us let God know exactly what we feel. It doesn't mean it's not right. It just means we don't like getting water in our face. So I've made three observations about growing faith, about what it takes, what it means to leap. First of all, faith grows when we trust God's timing. If we're honest, our culture loves instant gratification. We want the stuff and the feelings now. I don't know if many of you remember back during your college days, but at almost every major secular university, and and maybe some Christians, but I I didn't get the same uh, kind of opportunities. But the freshmen, all the credit card companies are like vultures. Have, Have you noticed that? They come after you, and they give you all this schmoozing, to be quite honest. You know, hey, you know what? You're in college. It's about time, you know, all grown-ups have credit cards, and they're awesome. If you pay them off, everything is just really sweet. You can get anything you want, and because you're paying $172,000 for this year, We're giving you a credit of $50,000. And everyone's eyes go, whoa. (laughs) I can buy anything up to $50,000? This is sweet, all right? And so we're all really happy about this. And because we're a generation that really wants the latest and the greatest and whatever, we start using that card. We start using the card. Whoa. You know, when you're a kid, you just need to walk through the store. And have you noticed again, all the candy is right in the checkout, right? They never put it in the back of the store, do they? It's right there. So you have three or four kids. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Oh my word. Are you serious? No. No. It's been no yesterday. It's no today. No. But they're relentless, aren't they? Because we want it now. And so sometimes MPs are, okay, I'm gonna, I'll buy it. But, and you give them some reason. After lunch, you can have some. Well, they can hardly even eat lunch. All they really care about, you know, are the sour gummies. That is what's important in life. Well, adults, well, they have different types of gratification. Sometimes it's a car. Sometimes it's a house, sometimes it's a job, but but you want it now. And so very, very little is bought with cash, because that's our culture. Now, I think a mark of maturity is the ability to wait. It doesn't mean every one of you do need to wait. Some of you are very responsible, but, but truthfully, a mature person is able to recognize that there are certain desires that they have, But satisfying those right now is just not going to be healthy for my bank account, for my relationships, for a whole lot of things. 
You know, the disciples needed to trust their sovereign dad because Father knows best. There are times that Jesus responds immediately. And you notice just right in our latest story in John chapter 6, after feeding the crowds, whoa, Jesus responded very quickly in some areas. He sent the disciples away by boat. He made them go away. Jesus knew the disciples' weaknesses. And if you've got 20 or 25, if you've got 20 or 25,000 people, and they're all lauding you and praising you and wanting to make you king, the disciples are kind of looking around and saying, "Yeah, I'm liking this following Jesus stuff, man. I mean, we're going to be like the cabinet members. Let's do this." And I could see, literally, those disciples kind of, "I'm liking this." Jesus knew it wasn't right. And it wasn't the right time for his kingdom to come into fruition completely. So he sent these disciples away right away. He knew their weaknesses. I think they left reluctantly confused and probably dejected. And I think that's going to be important as they travel out into the sea. Jesus immediately also sent the crowds back home. He was not going to be their political team or king, he was not going to go down this route. He just wasn't. And so he left. And what he needed to do, and this was our focus last week, he went up to the mountain, up to the hill, and he just spent time with his dad. He said, Dad, you've got to remind me again what's important. You've got to remind me of the plan. Father, just teach me. Help me understand. Give me your strength to go through this. All the things we normally would pray for. We also know in our story, because we just got through reading it, that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, and Jesus actually quickly responded. And we're going to talk more on this later. But sometimes Jesus responds really, really slow. Let me remind you that they were in a storm, a bad storm. Most of these guys were fishermen. They knew the sea. But according to our text, they had been rowing at least six hours. Their destination, if you want to look on a map, was probably a mile or two away. It never should have taken them that long. They got into a boat. The storms came. And literally shoved them out almost to the center of the Sea of Galilee, which isn't that big. And they're rowing, and they're rowing. And after an hour, or two, or three, or five, at least six hours of rowing, maybe even up to nine hours of fighting this battle, I'm pretty sure they're tired and they're crabby. Now, Jesus was up on the hill. Jesus knew the storm, but came at just the right time. I think it's important for us to know, in spite of what we go through and how hard the storm is and how long we've been rowing and wondering if God is ever going to show up, God is so very aware of the storm. 
and God's timing is perfect. Faith also grows when we listen to God during the storms. You know, storms are a part of life. They are. In fact, storms make the journey difficult. If you look at your life, all of us want ease. Every vacation we go on, we want our car to work. We want to make sure that our reservations are there. I mean, nothing is worse than anticipating an unbelievable time during the next week. You show up and they say, what reservations? And you look at them, oh, oh, okay. Well, apparently that's fine, but can you just give us a room? We have no rooms. So you lost our reservation and we have no rooms. This is going to be a swell week. I'm just letting you know. And so we, we look at this, and, and there's always these rough spots. We want all of our kids just to fly through school. No skin knees at all when they're learning how to ride a bike. We want everyone to be able to make the A-team in basketball. And we want always our interviews to just go very, very well. And you can just go on and on and on. All of us want our hot water heaters to be able to last 25 years. Wow. How come they don't make hot water heaters that last 25 years? But they don't. And so someday you wake up. And sometimes it's a drip. And sometimes it's old faithful. And you're going like, what is going on here? But I know this, is that obedience helps us experience a sweet spot while in a storm. You see, as we walk with God, as we listen to God, as we obey God, as we do our journey with God, as we stay connected with God, we know that things happen to us. And then we know that God is going to be with us. You know, I love at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually preaching his longest recorded sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The very last thing he says on his sermon is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. And Jesus is, is chatting to these crowds, and he's saying this, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. He's like a person who builds his house on a sand. When the rains and the floods come, it's not if, it's when. When they beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, I want to be in that sweet spot. I don't want circumstance to dictate my joy. I want to be able to trust God no matter what news I get from the doctor. It doesn't mean I, quest, doesn't, uh, it doesn't mean I don't question, but it does mean, God, you're walking with me. And I'm going through this storm and your presence is going to be enough. You see, God never promised us calm seas. 
He promises us his presence. Now, I've got to be honest, when I look at this story, I'm not really sure why Peter asked if he could venture out of the boat. And just think of it. They've been rowing a long time. They're a little tired. The waves are still crashing. And there's Jesus walking on the water. But I think Peter, as much as we love him and hate him, just plain wanted to be with Jesus. He loved Jesus so very, very much in his head. It would be safer to be out in the sea with Jesus than in the boat. Oh. You know, I think Moses was the same way. If you have a chance and you read through Exodus chapter 19 and 20 and, and also Exodus 32, 33, 34, and 35, you're going to see Moses as he tries to lead this rambunctious group of Jews. And they aren't always cooperative. But one of the things you find out very early in Moses' leadership is that he loves spending time with God. In these chapters, he literally goes up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, the, the, the mountain of God, five different times. The very first time that the children of Israel see this mountain, it is smoking, it is quaking. They literally hear the voice of God and every one of them cower and say, you know what, Moses, you go talk to God, we're staying here. Look it up. And you know what? Every time that God showed up, Moses went up the mountain. He was jacked. He loved spending time with God. And there were two times in this where he spent 40 straight days with the Almighty God. He couldn't wait. So the very things that scare some people motivate others. And so as we spend time with God and we get to know God, the storms aren't so scary anymore. They're hard. They're inconvenient. They're horrific at times. But if you know the Lord, you are running to Him. And so Jesus answered, yes, come. Peter, you want to come? Come. And at that moment, we don't have a whole lot of details, but you can picture it. The boat's going crazy. Jesus is still out in the storm. Peter, dead tired. I don't know if he tiptoed out, if he took a giant leap out, if he even fell out of the boat and then got up. I'm not sure. This was not very stable. But he came. He came. And then the scriptures tell us he saw the waves and he felt the wind. He had enough guts, enough faith. Hey, Jesus said to do this. I'm going to do this. And so many of us, well, we do get out of the boat. But then all of a sudden, common sense hits us, or whatever you want to call it. Are you serious? This is not how it's supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be walking on water, much less in a storm. 
And so instead of focusing on Jesus, his Lord, he looks down. He looks around. And he starts to sink. You know, his faith was enough to get him out of the boat, just not to sustain him in the storm. I wonder, though, and we don't get this, but but we get hints of this. I wonder if being dead tired had something to do with Peter's sinking and faith. John MacArthur said this, He was bone-weary from rowing most of the night, scared to death by a storm, and then by what he thought was a ghost. And now it seemed he was about to drown before he could reach the Lord. He had never been in such a situation before, and it may be that his actually walking a few feet on the water even added to his shock. You see, sometimes our schedules, our busyness, often distract us in the storm when we're supposed to be focusing on Jesus. Every one of us are busy. Some of us are busy doing the right things. I know that. But some of us are focusing on the urgent rather than the important. You know, I was talking with one of the gentlemen in our church just this last week. And honestly, he was a little sheepish. And and he said this. He says, "Uh, you know what, Rick? Uh, I was at a church last week. It's almost like, you know, when the pastor talks to you, if you don't come to church that week, like it's the first thing he's going to say, like, ah, where were you? You know, that kind of a thing. Because I do keep a report card, just so you know. (laughs) All right? And uh, honestly, I actually hate to say this, but I didn't notice he wasn't here. So he could have just shut up. It would have been great, you know. But you know what he said to me? He said, Rick, I was exhausted. I've had so many hours of work, I just slept. And I'm not sure if he understood my response, but I smiled and I said, you know what? You probably needed that more than a message. And his eyes got big. What? What? What are you talking about? I'm not talking about his schedule. But I know this. If you actually even go back to 1 Kings 19, Elijah, just this story, again, you know it. It's one of the greatest miracles in all the Old Testament. But Elijah just got through calling fire down while he was on Mount Carmel. You remember that story where all of Baal worshipers were trying for for hours and hours and hours and hours to send fire down from heaven and nothing worked. But he was an amazing prophet and and he listened and God responded and, and God sent some fire down. But just moments after this happened, the word got back to evil Jezebel. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah and said, you know what, because you just killed all my prophets, I'm going to kill you. Seriously, after God just did that? But he was tired. He was emotionally spent, and he ran. He ran and ran and ran. And you can read this. 
what he does, he gets to a certain place, he thinks he's safe, and he sleeps. God wakes him up, doesn't even give him any hope. He says, here's some food, eat this. Eat some food, and then he goes back to sleep. God wakes him up again and says, hey, eat some food. You know what's so amazing is that sometimes, sometimes, our schedules, our life, ministry, work, or whatever, just make our priorities a shambles. And I think Peter was tired. I think if this happened in the first hour, Peter might not have looked at the storm. He might have gone right out to Jesus. Peter cried out, though once he started sinking, he put his eyes back on Jesus, and Jesus responded immediately. I love in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the author writes this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the very life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. How cool is that? I mean, he just pictures life as a marathon. He says there's going to be some hills, there's going to be some valleys, there's going to be some hot sun, there's going to be some cold weather. But this journey is an amazing journey. And you know how you're going to get through it? You're going to get through it by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the storm is not as devastating. Some of you know the story of Stephen, the first martyr in Acts chapter 7. He gets through just preaching an unbelievable message. A, a message just filled with fire and brimstone. The, the religious leaders are so angry with him, they drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him to death. I won't exactly describe what that is, but it's not a great way to die. Okay? And as we read in the Scriptures, how, how are you going to go through this storm, Stephen? This is a tough one. I mean, you're getting rocks pelted. You're getting rocks laid on you. You are going to have your life snuffed out. The Scriptures tell us this. In Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 55, he gazed at Jesus while the rocks were flying. Wow. You know what? Faith also grows when we experience God's power. My guess is in that boat, hearts were softened during the storm. Eyes were opened when Jesus calmed the sea. You know, they were taken past amazement to worship. They were beginning to see what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Therefore God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when you see God's authority and power, worship follows. 
Some people go to churches because they have great worship bands. And they sing great worship songs. And I think we are blessed here amazingly. But the truth is, is that as we experience God's power and the wind and the rain and the storm has just gone crazy, Jesus gets into the boat and boom, it's calm. It's calm. How do you not respond to that? How are you casual about that kind of power or authority? You can't be. Worship is passionate, reverent fear and awe. It's often involving all of you. We're not sharing with you that you only worship one way. But we know this, is that when you know Jesus well, you walk with Jesus through the storms, you realize His power and authority in your life, all of a sudden your life spills worship. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Remember that? Therefore, you know, make your bodies a living sacrifice. This is not only the reasonable thing to do after all that Jesus has done for you, this is your worship experience. Whoa. I love in Luke chapter 7, we've touched on this a few different times, when we don't even know whose name or, or who this woman is, but Jesus is literally having a meal with a Pharisee. She comes in absolutely, well, it was audacious. And she's weeping and crying and she she. She washes Jesus' feet with her tears. She anoints Jesus with an unbelievable amount of perfume. And she just lays at his feet. I love you. I love you. I never met anyone like you. You've given me life. You've given me hope. Oh God, I love you. I love you. You see, worship and grand worship is not just at the end of a camp experience. It's daily as you meet God or as you end a storm that you're just so very grateful. In fact, for me, if my worship is weak, it's a red flag. I just haven't been spending time. If I start going through the motions, which we all do at times, wow. Well, what did we learn about Jesus? What, what did we learn from Jesus today? There's a few things, just as I wrap up. First of all, faith is a big deal. Faith is strengthened when, when it's taken to the extremities, maybe something that's never faced before, such strengthening is basic to Christian growth and maturity. There will be storms and scenarios and situations in your life that you have never, ever, ever experienced. And I think God allows you to go into these places to be able to experience Him 
The Lord takes all of us as far as our faith will go. And when it ends, we begin to sink. It is then that we call out to Him. And He again demonstrates His faithfulness and His power. And our faith learns to extend much further. You see, most of us have it wrong. We think we're going to have some great faith and then we can just kind of skip through life. God desires deeply for intimacy over and over and over. And everything that we walk through will force us to see Him more clearly. And as we trust God in faith, we have discovered who God is. Next thing, dad knows best and his timing is perfect. You know, our earthly fathers sometimes think they know best. I I know it, you know. Um, But our heavenly father really does know what's best, really does. Storms are a part of life, so we need to talk about them. You know, one of the hardest things when I was a youth pastor is getting a call from a young mom normally and would say, you know what, Rick, uh, there's a principal and he's responding this way. There's a coach that's responding this way. And you know what, my daughter is in a class and she is getting a B. She deserves a C. Would you pray for me? And I don't know if the young mom was shocked when I prayed, but I would pray this. I pray, dear God, that you would grow Isabella's faith. And that you would teach her in this storm to rely on you. I pray that you would help Isabella's mother to trust you. Because you know what? Isabella's mother is not trusting you right now. I didn't add that part. But we all want this. We come in. We, Rick, I just got the worst news from a doctor. Man, I, I don't want you to get worse news from a doctor. I I don't. But I know that when I pray, I will pray for healing and I will pray for strength, but I will pray more that they will see Jesus, experience Jesus, hang on to Jesus, that their lives would be absolutely different and transformed. That's what I'm going to pray. So if you get sick, don't call me. Just kidding. Call me. And we'll cry together and we'll hug. But I'm going to pray that you see Jesus along with healing. We like control. We do. But it's awesome to sit around the table at supper and have mom share the rough storm she's going through and I have the kids and the family surround her and say hey let's pray mom that you're going to experience Jesus that you're going to feel his arms that you are going to know he's present with you and I don't care how bad your boss is mom I I want you to know that our God is amazing Whoa! because then it's not about a boss it's not about a ticket It's not about a doctor. We love control. But what we need to know is God is present and is in control and He's going to use this to grow our dependence on you. Next thing, we need to trust God's Word during the storms. Simply put, we need to know God's Word. 
We honestly don't make that a priority. We have encouraged you, if you're part of this flock, to be able to read through the scriptures every single day and hopefully maybe even every single year, read through the whole Bible, Old Testament to New. You'll never regret that. You just won't. Because if you know God's promises, you can trust them. You know, uh, I'm having the privilege of, of going or walking uh, through some premarital counseling with, with one of our young couples. And we're using a book called You and Me Forever. And by the way, um, I don't know if you think your marriages are very important, but what I try to encourage people every year, if you're a parent and you think parents important, parenting is important, why don't you get a book? Every year, read a different book on it. And if your marriage is important, which I hope it is, I'm thinking you need to get a book every single year and just kind of read through it. And if you need a list of books, I'd be glad to give them to you. But you can start right here. Lisa and Francis Chan wrote a book called You and Me Forever. Unbelievable, wonderful book. It really is because it focuses on marriage in light of eternity, not what you're going to get today. But Lisa, uh, the wife of Francis, which some of you may know, she says this. This is an exact quote. A strong woman has waited patiently, uh, excuse me, a strong woman has waited patiently while her roots grow deep into the Word of God. Over time, she becomes unshakable in her faith. She starts bearing fruit naturally and is full of life. People are attracted to her strength and growth, and many find rest and peace as they lean on her. And when the storms and the trials come, as they always do, they will not be able to take her down. A few branches may be lost or pruned away, but in their place comes new growth and new life. And her next sentence is this, I want to be that kind of woman. A woman like in Psalm chapter 1, where it says a person meditates on God's word day and night. So they are like a tree planted by rivers of water, so that they're always watered, and that every season they will bear fruit, because they are drawing their nourishment from God. So it may get windy and it may get bad, but you know what? Because their roots are deep. Wow. Knowing God takes time. Knowing God means you make right priorities. And lastly, as I close up here, storms help us grow in our awe of God. I cannot tell you as I've walked with some of you through some storms, over the 40 years of ministry, as I look at my own life, I will never sign up for a storm. I won't. But I'm telling you that I see Jesus so differently after the storm. I hate the storms. Because sometimes it's, I'm stupid and go out into it. And sometimes it just comes up. But I know this. I will never, ever, ever trade the intimacy I have with God for an easy life. 
seasoned sailors have confidence and respect for the storm. They know when to go out, when not to go out, when to give up. But seasoned Christians differ. Storms raise the confidence in God, period. If you spend time with our God, you'll worship differently. If you spend time with our God, you'll be overwhelmed by His power and His grace and His love and His mercy. No one will ever sign up for it. But you are so glad that you know your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize, Father, that um, these disciples didn't ask for the storm. These disciples weren't about rowing for six or seven or eight hours. These disciples were probably a little ticked at you, Jesus, leaving them. But then you showed up, and you showed up in an amazing way. Father, we know you're aware of our lives. We know that you provide strength and power. And God, we are so grateful. We love you. We just plain love you. In Jesus' name, amen.